0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Wealth Conversation Podcast with me, Mutiti. I guide high-achieving women on their journey to build lasting wealth so they can prepare for an abundant future in every area of their life. I hope that today's episode will help you to transform your relationship with money so you can make the choices that will enable you to create the opportunities and lasting wealth that you desire. Let's get straight into this week's episode. This episode is dedicated to Black History Month, which is celebrated in October here in the UK. As my contribution to this very special period in the UK calendar, I wanted to celebrate the people who I believe are making history right now in the black community. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Patricia Chinyoka. Patricia is a highly experienced and dedicated equality, inclusion and diversity consultant with a wealth of experience in diversity and inclusion, with the ability to influence and drive change in large organizations. She provides advice and guidance on inclusion strategies, recruitment and progression, succession planning, talent management processes, leadership support, and anti-racism consultation. Patricia's varied experience includes speaking at external events, providing consultation and coaching across public and private sector organizations, including FTSE 100 companies. In her spare time, Patricia volunteers for Care for Someone, a charity she founded, which supports children in Zimbabwe to continue their education. Welcome, Patricia, to the Wealth Conversation podcast.
1: Hi, Titi. Thank you so much for having me. I am so, so delighted to
0: be here. Please could you share a bit more about yourself and your background? I I guess if I share a bit about my background, it has
1: to include what inspires me and and, and what drives me. Starting from um, a very early age, I was interested in in people, um, in what makes people who they are. uh, And and I think from there formulated uh, the type of individual that, that I wanted to be. And and part of my growing up was always looking out for for others. And, you know, coming from a big family of seven, it was all very interesting uh, seeing the different personalities within the family. And uh, I decided that that one of the subjects I was going to study at university was psychology because that would give me a good grounding uh, in understanding myself, uh, first of all, but also understanding people around me and the world in which we operate uh, and what drives people's behaviors. I grew up across different countries, so lived for a little bit in in Zambia um, and uh, then lived in Zimbabwe, did a bit of traveling with my my family, uh, visited Malawi, visited South Africa when I was much younger and, and, and Botswana and all of those different experiences exposed me to who people are In that intrigue in wanting to know more about people, what drives people, and I guess wanting to work around what people do and how I can champion uh, others grew very deeply ingrained in myself. So so I I think that's a little bit
0: about me and and what drives me. It's so interesting how travelling and seeing different people can make such a big impression and not just different people, but the way different societies operate what is it that actually got you into diversity and inclusion
1: I think I think thinking back to what I just described that that innate desire to to know others others cultures how they live what drives them what's special about them and speaking up for others So, you know, having been educated across countries, like I said, a bit of, you know, growing up in Zambia, uh, the cultures were quite different to how I was brought up in Zimbabwe. Uh, And and I I noticed, particularly in primary school, some behaviors that I I didn't like. Uh, And from a very young age, from the age of nine years old, I, I began to speak up on behalf of other students in my class that I felt were a bit quieter Uh, and weren't always able to to stand up. And from that age, I I became confident in approaching the class teacher to talk about things that I felt were were not going right and that needed to be fixed. I I look back to those years. Now, I'm really surprised as to how I mastered that confidence to to be able to to do that. And and growing up and and going into psychology, I, I wanted to work in HR. Uh, I wanted to to be there to support others, but also to be a voice for the employee, although the role of HR is impartial. And so, you know, you're looking after the employees, but you also have the obligations to ensure that uh, the organizational policies uh, are being uh, uh, adhered to. And through that role in HR, uh, we started to talk more and more about diversity and inclusion. And I realized with the passage of time that I wanted to champion people's rights. I wanted to be an advocate. I wanted to support organizations become better uh, at creating inclusive workplaces, but also at uh, celebrating the diversity and and using that diversity to leverage their own success. So eventually I crossed over nearly 10 years ago from HR into, into diversity. And and that's where I am today. And I absolutely
0: love and enjoy what I do. You work for business in the community. Could you tell us a bit more about the work you do through business in the community?
1: Yes. So I am an inclusion lead. My role includes managing a team of uh, inclusion advisors. uh, And I also work with a portfolio of organizations who engage with uh, business in the communities, race, gender, age, and and, and well-being campaigns. And these organizations include uh, the Foreign Commonwealth Development Office, uh, Santander Cabinet Office, Royal Air Force, uh, Nationwide. So it's a real mix of private and and, and public sector organization. And on a day-to-day basis, I uh, advise on their inclusion priorities and, and ambitions. I support organizations develop or enhance their own inclusion strategies. Uh, and, and this includes recruitment, progression, uh, development, uh, or just any advice around how to, to be in, in an inclusive uh, organization. And and with regard to to the audiences uh, that I work with, it includes providing expertise and resources and consultation to executive committee teams. So these are board level uh, and and, and, uh, senior leadership teams, diversity and inclusion practitioners, HR, uh, diversity champions, employee resource groups or employee networks, Uh, so a real mix Uh, of different types of uh, contacts that I work with across all of these uh, different organizations. I also uh, design and and deliver training uh, that ranges from inclusive leadership to privilege and intersectionality, as well as um, unconscious bias. Although, you know, the, the, the critiques are out there around unconscious bias and people feel that as we all have biases, it's it's something that we can never uh, get rid of. And that's true. Uh, Our biases are there. We need them. But it's how, how we manage those biases. And one of the things that we are doing at the moment is designing a program around conscious inclusion. And so moving away from unconscious bias and more into how organizations and individuals can consciously think about their behaviors, but also how they they make decisions. Uh, I also convene roundtables, peer learning forums, as well as public speaking. So so quite a huge spectrum of what I do in my current role at business in the community. But but I think the overall aim of business in the community is to support organisations become the best they can at responsible business. And this goes beyond diversity, so looking at the environment, the communities in in which organizations operate so they can do the right things for those communities.
0: There's certainly so many pieces that need to join up, isn't it? To create those, those environments where people can thrive and not just people from the same background but people from from different backgrounds and even different ways of, of thinking. you know I just listening to you, I'm just like how, how do you manage to get all of that done? But I guess that's why you need a team.
1: <laughs> yes, it's, it's, it's a really busy role. so you know uh, business in the community does amazing work but but we are we are not many in numbers. as as employees, but, you know, we we deliver a great deal across the the UK and and also into
0: the global arena. So you've mentioned uh, briefly quite a number of companies, but, you know, different sizes, different industries. Um, And when we talk about diversity and inclusion, we're talking about people from different backgrounds, different uh, ways of thinking, different biases as well. What are some of the inclusion strategies that um, you have seen work well in some of the companies that um, you've supported so far? So I think just just listening to you talking about the different diversities that, that, you know, people
1: bring to the table. um, And so intersectionality is really an interesting concept. And so this is about our different experiences and the different factors that we all bring to the table. So our age, gender, our race, our height, weight, and all of those things that that, that make who who we are, uh, drive organizations to to creating uh, strategies that can tap into all of that difference. So for example, one of the the, the strategies that a lot of organizations have implemented is inclusive leadership. These are programs or approaches that organizations use to develop senior leaders, people managers, um, line managers around how to be an inclusive leader, how to listen to different voices, how to uh, harness the power of all of that difference that that you highlighted. Uh, So people coming from different cultural backgrounds, different religious backgrounds, people coming from different um, sexual orientation backgrounds, people with disabilities, people of different age groups. Uh, and, and I think that inclusive leadership is one of those uh, that upskills leaders and enables them to be able to manage all of that difference uh, within the, the, the workplace, but also to create, to create an inclusive uh, environment where everyone can, can uh, thrive. And the other one is around inclusive language. We are talking a lot at the ITC Uh, and I think beyond around inclusive language, making sure that what we say uh, to others, how we address others, how we might refer to others is inclusive. And and, and with a caveat here, because sometimes people may say things that may offend others without realising that it's offensive. But, But inclusive language goes beyond what we say and how we refer to others into the recruitment arena so the advertising, it's very important to have inclusive language that can tap into women, into others who may think differently uh, to us. For example, using the word strong in an advert can actually put off women. So there's all these different types of uh, words that can be used that may deter others from uh, applying to an organisation. Other strategies include challenging unconscious bias, Uh, having a culture that is transparent. Often when you talk to employees, one of the things that they talk about is they don't know what is going on in an organisation and they read things in the press or they read things on their websites that haven't been communicated to them. So communication is one of those strategies that is really, really important as part of that inclusion. Mentoring and sponsorship very very important and a lot of organizations are are working around this and and ensuring uh, that these are key strategies that are developed but that are also sustained so that organizations are not having one-off programs that yield uh, nothing but if they're sustained if they're embedded they become a way of how an organization operates means that everyone that comes into the organization feels supported, particularly minority groups. So people from Black, Asian, minority ethnic backgrounds always talk about how they they want to be mentored, how they want to be sponsored, because they feel that they don't always have the same opportunities as compared to their white colleagues. Allyship, very important that organizations have allyship strategies as part of the inclusion strategy, uh, which helps again to have senior leaders that can champion and advocate for minority groups. And what has become quite clear following uh, the death of George Floyd last year, uh, organizations creating race strategies. uh, It's been wonderful to see uh, the commitment and leadership by a lot of organizations who've gone on to develop race strategies. And and also there's been an increase in the recruitment of people from Black, Asian, minority ethnic backgrounds into some of the key positions to to offer expertise and to help drive forward uh, race strategies. And I think the last one, I mean, there's so much out there, but I think the last one I'm going to mention is cultural awareness, a very important that organizations Uh, are developing that and that a lot of the organizations we work with have these uh, strategies in place because they help to build cultural intelligence which is key in in their ability to support and upskill managers around inclusive leadership skills.
0: Thank you for sharing those with us. Um, I think the ones that really stood out to me, in fact the first one was the inclusive language Because the financial services industry, where I spend most of my time in my my nine to five, the language that we use, especially in advertising, for a long time has been, whether it's on purpose or not, seemingly directed at male customers from a certain background. And so as companies are working towards this inclusive leadership and people are Getting into roles that are potentially paying them a bit more than historically they would have expected to get paid. When it comes to making their money work for them, they don't know where to go to because no one is talking to them. And I've heard that from a lot of women, especially that, you know, I don't know where to go to. These places don't want me simply because of, like you said, an advert that they've seen or language, or even images that they've seen in, in advertising, which don't, don't pro- portray them. And then that, in turn, makes creates this vicious cycle where communities as a whole are not leveling up because they feel that they can't use certain services or that they can't be at the table um, when decisions are being made. I know you've also set up a charity that supports women in Zimbabwe. Why is that important to you and um, what specific areas do you, does the charity focus on?
1: So I set up Care for Someone charity back in 2001. Um, and it's, it's the core at, at the start of the charity was supporting children um, continue their education and we focused on girls at the time. But with with the passage of time, as we visited the girls in their homes, we were finding boys there. And so we realized that actually, whilst we wanted to just focus on girls, it was unfair to educate the girls and leave the boys out. So we started supporting across all all gender. And the charity delivers a number of projects. So the first one, which I've just mentioned, access to, to education, Uh, which focuses on school fees uh, and anything related to to education. And the second project is a skill centre in which we're supporting motor mechanic apprentices and also have uh, sewing classes for those interested in learning how to sew. And, And this is to enable them to then, when they qualify, get jobs or start their own small enterprises. And I think The third project, which is really, really exciting, is Women of Zimbabwe, which launched in April 2020, right in the height of COVID-19. And I was inspired to, to launch Women of Zimbabwe by the stories that were coming from women in Zimbabwe who were reaching out to the charity and asking for help in the form of food aid. Um, and I, I reflected and I, I realised that the charity is quite small. We don't have the funding to be able to supply or to support the women with food aid, but rather that if we offered mentoring to help them, A, enhance their own businesses, because some of these women were saying that they had businesses, but that their businesses were struggling due to lockdown, restrictions, they were not able to to go out to sell. And also to, to support those that had ideas but didn't know how to get started with their own businesses. And we came up with a project, a digital mentoring project, as well as financial literacy to support the women gain these skills and to help them learn how to budget and manage money is people that were starting new businesses or those women that already had businesses but were struggling to manage money. And the digital aspect was supporting them. So simple things as opening a Facebook page and advertising their business, opening up a WhatsApp group, advertising that business, bring a community of women together and meeting on the WhatsApp groups in order to connect, to share ideas, to build relationships and to sell to each other, to help them and money. But I think more importantly, wealth creation, I think was a, is, is a big area for a majority of these women, because they learned that during COVID-19, they had no savings. They were not saving money. They didn't know how, but now they understand that it's important to put $5 in a tin for that rainy day. So I think that's a really good thing for uh, the Women of Zimbabwe project. And the other thing that it's doing for the women is it's building their confidence to help them fulfill their potential and continue to, to earn a living. But just going back to that point, I stressed about connecting with other women and having this community uh, selling approach where they advertise to one another and sell one another has really, really been successful. Since we launched, uh, we've had women start a, a peanut butter project in Kwekwe, Kwe, very successful. And we've also had women in ROA making detergents, so they buy products and they make different types of soaps and washing powder um, and currently the women are discussing, setting up a land cooperative. So very proud of, of Women of Zimbabwe. And you know we're just looking to the future and hope that there'll be, there'll be more success. I'm really proud um, that we, we are where we are uh, today with the project. And thank you to yourself as well, Titi, for coming to talk to the women about finances. And, and we hope to bring you back talk about wealth creation i think it's really important that you know they can continue to understand money
0: oh it, it was my pleasure i'm so amazed that in such a short space of time you've been you know the community has been able to achieve such things and it just goes to show the power of bringing people together and using each other's strengths and resources to to create this this wealth that you're talking about and even if it just starts with little savings to protect you for the next unexpected event that might be round the corner. You know, I agree with you. COVID really exposed a lot of people, not just in Zimbabwe, but across the world. And you know, to have someone to say, look, hey, let me help you to make sure that if this happens again, you are not kind of, you know, in this in a similar situation is is such an amazing thing. So well, well done for for doing that. And um I feel like you're, you're taking everything that you've you've you're doing in the corporate space and taking it out into the community as well, which is which is fantastic. Looking back on your journey so far, what advice would you give to your younger self about operating in different environments where there may not be many people who look like you? Wow,
1: that's a really, really, really good question. I would tell myself to be more bold. I think I certainly when I was much younger, was quite bold, particularly describing my years in primary and secondary school, I was really bold and, and confident. And then somewhere along the lines, in my late teens, there was a change. But I think that being confident, not to be afraid to make mistakes, because I always wanted to be perfect so that there was no comeback to anything that I did or said. But I've learned now that it's so important to make those mistakes because it's through those mistakes that we learn as we go along in life. And I think I held myself back by wanting perfection and not taking risks. I didn't think I was always good enough. It didn't matter that people said, I just I needed to believe in myself and to, and to think it myself. And sometimes it's important to take that feedback when people tell you that you've done a good job and thank you. And so I had the imposter syndrome and and it had a grip on me for for a few years. And I think at times as I grew up, I I had another element of feedback where I allowed people to tell me their views of me that I actually didn't agree with, that were not right, but I, I didn't challenge. And I think part of that was, going back to that imposter syndrome and not valuing my own worth. Because sometimes we don't think that we are worth things that come to us or that we are not worth who we are and what we say. And so it took a long time then for me to to rebuild and uh, to come out of of my shell. But I think these are some of the things I'll tell my younger self. And so if I was telling young 16 year old Patricia, I'll just say, be bold, confident. Don't be afraid of making mistakes. Make as many as possible. Be yourself, exactly who you are, because I think being vulnerable is is, is really important. And not shielding any part of myself. I mean, I mean, there really, there are elements where we need to, I guess, keep something of ourselves back. But I think sometimes we do that a lot, and then the real us don't shine through. So the mm. things that I will i tell the younger Patricia.
0: Yeah, very wise advice. Very wise advice. Because some of that behavior feeds into other areas of our life. And if we don't um, kind of come out of that shell or be confident or allow ourselves to make mistakes, it could cost us more when we're older. So I absolutely love that advice. Some of those things I'd also be telling my younger self. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so You've, um, you, you gave us a couple of the strategies that um, you've been using to help companies um, improve their diversity and inclusion. Why is it important that businesses in the UK, in your opinion, focus on making a difference in the communities that they operate in? And how does that impact um, the wealth creation in those communities?
1: I think for, for businesses without people, businesses cannot exist consumers buy products that maintain or increase the welfare of those people within the communities and also employees work for those companies and they add value using their knowledge and skills with the companies supporting their livelihoods in return so it's almost a give and take companies give people in the communities apply to work for them Um, They share their skills um, and and I think that's a very good exchange. And and within that mix, investors finance companies that generate wealth and the impacts and dependencies that business has on people can be thought of as influencing social capital. So I was reading up around uh, social capital, which is a term that has been defined in a number of different ways over the years. Uh, but at its broadest, it, it describes the stocks of knowledge, skills, experience, health, and well-being within people, as well as the stocks of relationships, institutions, shared values, and norms that exist between people. And just like other forms of capital, social capital can be increased or decreased by the flows of social capital. So the social impacts which result from business activity. So if a business wasn't treating the environment in which it operates well, there would be an impact on the social capital, and people may refrain from buying from that organisation. And we've seen over the years how people talk about fair trade, and people only buy coffee or will only shop from 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 certain retail organisations based uh, on those organizations social corporate responsibility and how they treat their own supply chain so it's so important that that businesses can focus on ensuring that the communities that they operate in uh, feel that they are treating them with respect and dignity more broadly because that social capital can be damaged or destroyed where governance breaks down or where there are human rights issues or where people feel that there is an equal treatment of individuals or groups. And and I think that the other thing I was just going to touch on was the COVID-19 pandemic and and, uh, the 2020s, anti-racism protests that we saw that shone a light on the different lived experiences in the UK And these disparities are compounded by overlapping social indicators, such as ethnicity. So so ethnicity will determine how you succeed. And I think you alluded to it when you talked about the language in your industry, it it speaks to certain individuals. So, you know, this historical bias that exists uh, within the UK, where some people will access and have opportunities either to invest or to understand and to want to be engaged with investment organizations. And those indicators include what type of ethnicity they come from. But if we think about the low pay, housing, health, and other disparities that exist, it's important that organizations can harness the, the, the workforce from within their own community so that when they're recruiting, for example, if they are recruiting from London, which has 40% people from a Black, Asian, minority ethnic background, that they are well represented because that is how they are supporting that, that community. And just having the better understanding of why these disparities exist in the workplace and why it's important to have the insight to be able to support those different communities.
0: Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of work to be done and a lot of things to to think about. But, um, you know, I love the fact that you've alluded to that whole social capital and how everything is actually linked together. And one decision, it's actually like a domino effect. It will impact every area of the community, every area of the supply chain. And ultimately, will impact the the wealth creation, whether it's the profits of the organization or the income that the employees make or the taxes that go into the community to help support the community. So it is really important that, um, you know, in my point of view, anyway, businesses are aware of the impact they have in the community, which is why I love the ethos behind business in the community. you know, it, it, it makes complete sense to me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, it does. It's, it's a, you know, and we do great programs. So we, we had a program that was uh, working with organizations to support communities that are struggling. And over the last year, uh, the organization has uh, donated laptops through other organizations. So we coordinate organizations and linking them in, into communities to give back to those communities because those communities are giving them skills and expertise. Um, So it's it's, it's, it's that exchange I talked about that is really important.
0: Yeah, which ends up being win-win. Yes. Oh, Patricia, thank you so much for sharing. I know it's just a small part of everything that you do, um, but I'll definitely uh, be finding another excuse to bring you onto this. Podcast. Now, as you know, I believe that to create wealth, uh, we must all have a clear understanding of what wealth means to us in each area of our life. So, in a few words, please could you share what wealth means to you in the following areas of your life physical, mental, spiritual, social, and financial well being?
1: Yes. So, I think if I can just put it all in one, I think for me, starting from the physical, it's, it's about making time for small walks and reflecting as I walk about what shadow I am casting. And by this, I mean, what's my legacy? How am I communicating with my own family, with my community, with my colleagues and you know, more broadly in the work that I do? And coming out of it, feeling rested, because I think it's important to feel rested. And managing my mental wellness, ensuring there are no impacts to my day to day. And that when I do have those impacts, I'm finding time to step back. And and the way I step back is by leading a prayerful, reflective, contemplative lifestyle, and which includes helping others. So, So it's a big part of my life, making sure that I'm watching out for others. And it, you know, connecting with so many people, particularly now, I am loving now. I am super, super interested in the different Twitter spaces conversations that are going on. I don't know if you've heard of them, Titi, but there are these amazing Twitter spaces conversations that are happening. And I am talking to people from Tanzania, from the US, from Brazil, just connecting across the globe and, and having fun with it. But as part of that fun, we are all supporting each other to fix our, our communities. And also managing my finances, that's really, really important. So the work that I do includes me asking people to donate, but I also give as part of that financial uh, well-being. How I spend my money is so important to me. Where I buy, what I buy is, is you know, has become a huge part of my life over the last 20 years. And, and you know, my health is really important making sure I'm rested, I'm eating well, uh, and, and I'm having moments of reflective time and taking small
0: walks um, is really amazing. Thank you. I love the being aware of where you're casting your shadow. That is, that is my biggest takeaway from this <laughs> today because, yeah, it, 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 that, that's what life is about, isn't it? How are you impacting other people, um, those who are really close to you, people in your community, the people you work with, yeah, I love it. I love it one hundred percent. Patricia, how can people um, get in touch with you if they want to find out more about business in the community, or if they're considering supporting your charity?
1: Yes, yeah, so, so I think I will base it on the charity. Uh, so it's uh, they can people can email me uh, at info at careforsomeone.org.uk, we are always on the watch out for mentors and, you know, for anyone that can support with skills, knowledge, you know, building digital uh, businesses.
0: uh, That's so critical in this day and age. Okay, fantastic. I will put um, that email address in the show notes um, so it's easier for people to, to find it. I just want to thank you once again for being on the podcast and also for the work that you're doing here in the UK with businesses, but also the work that you are doing with um, the communities back home in Zimbabwe. Um, I know that every step you take, wherever your shadow is being cast, you are definitely leaving a, a lasting impression. Thank you so much, Titi. I've really, really loved doing this. And uh, thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Connect with me at The Wealth Conversation on Facebook and Instagram so we can continue the discussion. Also, if you're ready to define what wealth truly means to you, then go to thewealthconversation.com and download The Wealth Cornerstones Guide. Until next week, Stay focused on becoming the designer of your financial future.